Hey everyone, welcome to Punkcast. My name is William Maxwell. I'm a student of Web3 and the owner of Punk9527. CryptoPunks are 10,000 uniquely generated characters stored permanently on the Ethereum blockchain. No punk is the same. This is a show dedicated to celebrating the punks behind the punk. My hope for this podcast is that we capture the essence of the punk culture, elevate the brand and the individual behind the punk. One last thing, projects discussed on the show is not financial advice. Crypto and NFTs are a volatile and risky asset class. Please always do your own research. Other than that, let's go. Good morning, everyone. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Punkcast. Today, we're back with Punk 6303, with three Addies, Frown, Small Shades, and the Derp Purple Cap. In real life, he's a man of many talents, being the handyman engineer at Artblocks. He's also an artist, collector, and investor. Please welcome my man, Perpat, to the show. Perpat, how are you, man? Hello, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Of course. I think um, your name's popped up a few times from uh, some, some real OGs in the space, especially in the Artblocks sort of area. It'd be good to sort of uh, unpack your personal sort of punk story. Maybe we could start with your handle, and it sounds um, pretty intuitive in terms of why you selected Perpat, but I'd love to hear uh, how, how you arrived at your uh, your online nickname, Perpat. Yeah, so I got my punk somewhat serendipitously, like in an unexpected uh, way in terms of how I ended up with, you know, 6303. And I don't know, I, I like the purple hat trait. Like, I think it's a pretty iconic punk trait. And... I just found it like really strange at the time that no one had already claimed purple hat .eth, um as like an ENS. I just was like, oh, this is a bizarre thing that this isn't already taken. Of course, I'm going to take this. And then, you know, I was just like, oh, this has a nice ring to it. I'm going to start using this as kind of my online moniker. It's it's a uh, has a more of a like uh, crypto native feel to it, I guess, than than using something that's more, I don't know, human named. And so that was that was kind of uh, the, the gist of it. And then. You know, unfortunately, the uh, purple hat Twitter handle is taken by a woman who I, I believe has a, a real physical purple hat that she likes or something like that is, is the impression I get. But I've reached out to her and said, hey, I bought your, your handle off you. Um, but to to no avail there, I haven't got a response. So I, I kind of went with the next best thing, which was uh, you know, dropping the LE and just sticking with perp hat. Was, you know, I think like, I don't know, people ended up, friends would just call me perp like as it's nice and short compared to purple hat so um yeah it's like perp hat is close enough and it's it's available on twitter so uh, that's super cool <laughs> perp sounds almost a nickname for perpetrator as well so uh it's a it's a good double double nickname it's true without the you gotta you, you have to have it with the spelling otherwise it could be misconstrued <laughs> And and it sounds like Purple Hat also means that this is definitely your forever punk because uh, it might be a little bit weird to call you Purple Hat after you sell your Purple Hat punk. That's true. Though there are other Purple Hatted punks, you know. If I if I see something, you know, that's a better fit. You know, I I, I can't say that I'm beholden forever to six three zero three. There could, but it's I have a pretty sentimental attachment to to my punk. So. That's true. Uh, well, I think um, Flamingo Dow has a uh, has a pretty big biased towards purple hats too so i think they've been collecting up the purple hats yeah they have the purple hatted alien which is pretty pretty cool punk i i have to say yeah there's a lot of cool purple hatted punks just in the ecosystem in general i guess the only other one that comes to mind is jordan lyle as well so he's he's got that uh jordan has one gary v has a handful of purple hatted punks he's collected 
Beauty and the Punk, I want to say. Like, yeah, I think yeah, she, she has a yeah. purple headed ape. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't know. Those are the ones that, that immediately. Oh, Aaron Wright, I know, rocks a purple headed punk. He does. Um, he does. He's a, he's a perp, perp as well. Nice. A lot of, a lot of purple hats out there. Well, um, and that's the thing that's crazy. I don't know how no one had claimed the ENS. That was like the, the thing that was shocking me. <laughs> well, welcome, Perp Hat. Um, uh, it'd be great to sort of uh, start off, uh, I guess, just learning a little bit more about your your sort of personal backstory before we get into, I guess, uh, the crypto and NFT sort of part of your life. But, um, you know, what were you doing before crypto and you know, everything sort of leading before that? Like, where'd you grow up and, you know? Uh, what'd you study? Yeah. So, you know, I come from kind of a background in like, I don't know, mostly computer science. I studied computer science school. I kind of left school early to start a uh, startup actually, and kind of slowly finished my degree online. Startup was in a very, uh, very different space than, than crypto. And what I'm currently doing is kind of building like next generation uh, human computer interfaces um, in the form of haptic displays. So it's like, creating a stack of hardware and software that would allow you to create patterns that like draw on people's skin. So that was really cool. We we kind of ran that company for about three years and, and ended up winding things down after not really being able to find like a strong enough product market fit, but did a lot of cool work, like did this really cool project with NASA, making this kind of trippy like haptic displays that go into the armband. And yeah, you know, my, my background is just uh, someone who's like really interested in technology and uh, software and, and product development. And so kind of came out of that experience, did a little bit of consulting work, uh, found myself at Google as an engineer. Uh, I'd worked there for a couple of years and was really enjoying that when the the opportunity to uh, join Artblocks, yeah, arose after kind of finding and meeting Eric via Discord and, and becoming a really active member of the Artblocks community. And so that's what I'm doing now. I, I wear the CTO hat over, over at Artblocks and uh, try to make sure that kind of the we're swimming in the right direction in, in terms of technical direction for the company. And so that's been a lot of fun. But yeah, my my background is kind of scattered all over the place in terms of like the specific technologies that I've, I've worked on, but kind of consider myself like tinkerer, a generalist, an engineer, someone who likes to learn new things. And uh, yeah, finding crypto is is just kind of born out of that interest of, you know, technology, but also deep interest in economics and kind of like probably was exposed to the Bitcoin white paper. I don't know when maybe like before 2016, but I like, it was like, Oh, this is interesting, but like didn't really sink in until, you know, started more actively really paying attention to crypto, like end of 2016, beginning of 2017 around, you know, like learned about the, one of my close friends and, and former co-founders was in the same Teal fellowship class with Vitalik. Uh, and so like, I think that's probably what put, I don't know, the combination of that and kind of generally paying attention to crypto, I think was what like put a, the Ethereum pre-sale launch kind of on like my radar. And I was like, oh, this is really, this is really interesting. Like you're kind of taking some of this crypto economic stuff, but building something that's like more generalized, uh, and more kind of allows for a more like actualized vision of this programmable money. And so like, that's when I started really paying attention more just as someone who was curious and interested in the technology and yeah, kind of like tinkered around in the space. It's been about a year, like doing some open source contribution work to Viper, but like didn't really work professionally though until uh, I started our block. So yeah, that's, that's kind of me. Yeah. No, awesome. And uh, um, there's a couple interesting things I'd love to sort of unpack there with you, but um, 
but just come back to your startup. Like, what what do you sort of mean by haptics and the hardware component of it? Like, in drawing on the on your on your skin. Like, what 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 was I guess what was the 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 hypothesis of you know what the product would be then and the use cases? Yeah. So you know, generally speaking, like haptic devices or devices that communicate with your body via your sense of touch. And what we were building was um, the like these haptic. Well, from a hardware perspective, haptic displays um, that would allow you to create animations that kind of played on top of illusions that the body will perceive uh, in touch. So like, like a video, when you watch a video, you're not actually watching something that is moving. You're watching you know, a series of frames that are played fast enough that it tricks your brain into the illusion of perceiving motion, let's say. Um, and kind of similar to that, like you can create uh, illusions of motion on your skin where let's say you have like two points on your arm uh, and there's like little vibrating motors uh, on those two different points if you create a sensation that eases between from one to the other uh, kind of at the right timing uh, the right intensities you can create the illusion of something moving across your skin kind of like in a in a linear way let's say for example and so what we built was this you know, a hardware stack that would allow you to build displays of, I think, up to eight actuators that you could kind of configure in different configurations. And then this software design toolkit that was like essentially like Adobe Flash, but for haptics, you create different patterns that felt like they were, uh, yeah, moving around, evoking senses of, of like something that feels kind of creepy, something that feels kind of warm and comforting. You know, where we started was like focusing uh, actually more on a consumer device. And, you know, that was like, it was uh, called Moment. It was this like kind of a smartwatch without a screen. And so the idea was that you could communicate things like caller ID and uh, the passage of time and, you know, unique alarms and reminders uh, all with just touch. And you would have that as something like you didn't have to look at, but you could kind of convey information that way. You know, had some moderate success there in getting that initial product out the door, but like wasn't an area where there was opportunity for a kind of additional traction and so kind of pivoted from that into like more of this design suite, kind of like this design toolkit that could be put into like more of kind of industrial and military context. So like, you know, the form factor that would fit inside of a helmet or like a hard hat um, or, you know, that would fit like alongside your back or like on side of, you know, inside of an armband. And, you know, there was a lot of interest there in terms of like, you know, work with some Fortune 500 companies and their design teams like interested in using the toolkit to explore the haptic design space you could say and then you know did like an interesting project with uh, nasa for some research that they were doing for like next generation spacesuits but yeah ultimately like couldn't really find the right i don't know product market fit there and you know candidly the, the sales cycle for selling to like the military or the government is, is pretty long and so you know ended up in a place where like yeah we're running out of grant funding running out of some of this initial capital this isn't really like the the kind of the fit that we hope to have found and decided to kind of wind things down. But yeah, it was a really interesting, I don't know, experience. It's really interesting. I think like, you know, one of the things that we, we say is like, you know, my co previous co-founders, like being early, being too early is this functionally equivalent to being wrong. And I do like sincerely believe that was the case in the stuff we were working with is like, you know, it's been you know, like eight years or something now since we started working on that stuff. And like, now I think we're starting to see like maybe we're going to see more. I mean, we've seen little pieces of more advanced haptic stuff drip out in consumer technology, but like I think we were just way too early. And I think there's more applications for this technology as like 
VR and AR uh, expand as a market category, like if we can get that right in a consumer context, no, I'm pretty excited about what's happening in the Vision Pro and like where that goes, like maybe we'll find, yeah, I don't know, like that we will see some of that technology come more into, let's say, like the mainstream field of view. But yeah, we were, we were pretty early, which is the same as being wrong. So the perspective of what the market cares about. So that, that was kind of how that saga evolved. No, that's super interesting. I think you're right. I think as you're sort of talking through there, you know, Apple Apple's Vision Pro hardware that's coming out, you know, would have been ideally probably a good use case for it. Because I, I don't know if um, you've been to those, uh, you know, 4D movies before, because as you were sort of talking, yeah, you know, I went to see one of those um, where basically they've got these, I don't know, almost like air sort of pockets at the back of your seat. And so like when bullets are sort of flying, you're feeling like air sort of, you feel some of that, right? Which was, which was kind of cool and a unique sort of experience. But I could sort of see that, you know, with this AR, VR stuff coming on soon, people are going to want, you know, maybe a virtual suit or some way to sort of interact and feel that sense of touch as they're sort of engaging with people. I mean, if you're in a room, you know, in a meeting or something like that, you know, how do you shake somebody's hand or how do you sort of pat somebody on the back virtually? So, um, so I think as you're sort of thinking, uh, yeah, it sounds like a pretty cool thing that uh, probably it was too early at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of information that you can convey via touch and even just subtle differences between like, you know, a, a nice soft hand on a shoulder versus like a firm hand on a shoulder can communicate, <laughs> you know, very different things. And I, I think like, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a pretty cool stuff that like Apple's already done with haptics in terms of like, you know, the virtual uh, pad, touchpad, like the click on the new MacBooks isn't real. It's like a flat pane of glass that, you know, they simulate a click by like giving you a haptic response when, you know, there's enough you know downward pressure on the on the device. Like that's pretty cool. I mean, just the haptics and like the Apple Watch, the, the click wheel, like there's a lot of really sophisticated stuff to even just create these very subtle, you know, but meaningful kind of haptic feedback experiences. And yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty excited to see, like, I, I think as you have more immersive experiences, you can do continue to add onto that with, you know, layers of, of additional like multimodal pieces. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see kind of where this, where this stuff goes. And yeah, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting. No, uh, super fascinating, man. And um, I, I love, I love hearing this sort of stuff. Uh, I think, you know, nerding out and, uh, and sort of seeing where this stuff goes, but maybe going a little bit further into your background history, like, of all the things you could have chosen to sort of study and, and get into, like, uh, how did you, how did you land in computer science? Like what sort of drew you to that sort of space? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like partially convenience. So like, I, you know, I think when I was, uh, well, one is just like, I, I think there is a genuine, just like deep intellectual curiosity. I think that's like satisfied by understanding how computers work and like just something that's very satisfying about being able with software to like, you know, have an idea about something or a hypothesis about the world and like build something that tries to validate or invalidate that in a really like tight feedback loop. You know, I, when I was in university, I charted around with different kind of like dual degree things that I was exploring. And so like the pragmatic part of why I ended up like finishing my degree in computer science was mostly just due to the fact that, you know, I left university early to uh, start this haptic startup like some folks that were uh, a couple of years older than me. And and so, yeah, like the computer science degree was one that I could finish slowly online remotely. And so that's what I ended up finishing my degree in. But like, I also spent, you know, time in school, like I finished a minor in philosophy. I almost finished a minor in 
in math. And, you know, it was like one class for finishing a minor in math and one class for finishing a minor in economics. You know, at one point it was like double majoring in math and or originally double E and, and computer science and then uh, math and computer science. And it was just kind of pragmatically like, hey, I'm not going to be able to finish this. I do want to finish a degree. And this is the one I'm going to be able to finish. But like, you know, I think for me, like the intellectual interests are, I don't know, multidisciplinary in terms of like things that are exciting to me. I think, you know, like economics in particular is a pretty interesting field of study and thinking from the perspective of like the intersection of, um, let's say like more quantitative modes of thinking and modeling and more like uh, psychological interests in human behavior and decision-making. Um, so that was a lot of fun, like for me, just from an intellectual curiosity perspective. But yeah, I don't know, kind of a blend of like being interested in kind of having the skill set to make things, I think is like something that uh, was fundamentally, let's say, driving. Like, I think that was what was interesting about Double E, you know, just like, oh, like I can build something from like starting circuit design and kind of like, what is the skill set I need to build, you know, physical, technical products while like understanding how you design electronics, like that's useful. That's like, interesting. It gives me more tools to like think about making stuff. And then kind of from that found like, oh, well, also software gives you a lot of tools for making stuff. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that that was a big driver for me in addition to just like, I don't know, things that are challenging, interesting, exciting areas to find new problems. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Out of a mixed bag. No, that's cool. And along that sort of journey in your early years, did, did you ever have an interest in art or collecting in, in any form? Or yeah, so, you know, I think from like a personal perspective, art has always been a pretty like important aspect of uh, my life and my family. Like I, you know, growing up, uh, my dad was professional dancer when he was younger and then a dance professor. Uh, and so from that perspective, like art and culture and kind of dance and theater were always like important in my life growing up. Uh, you know, my grandparents on my dad's side were kind of, both of them were one side of the grandparents were both like visual artists, kind of more focused in printmaking and filmmaking. Actually, this quilt is something that my grandmother made. And so I think that was always like something that I was exposed to in, in life and uh, kind of grew up around like these works of art. You know, my family growing, or my, my house growing up and, you know, family members, like aunts, uncles, grandparents' house growing up that were kind of created by my, you know, people that were close to me. And, you know, I think in, in high school was like more deeply, say, you know, actively making art from the perspective of being really involved in our photography program and being really interested in photography and kind of kept pursuing like that from a personal perspective, you know, a couple of years into university. And then I, I think, you know, from a more like formal study perspective, never pragmatically, I don't know, I'm like the oldest of my siblings. I think like, you know, pragmatically being like, okay, I need to figure out a way to like make a career and <laughs> Um, you know, be a good example in that respect. Like art was not a pathway that, you know, uh, was, um, I don't know, like seemed to be one that, that, that made sense in, in a lot of ways. And so like, I remember kind of like junior, senior year of high school being like, oh, should I like try to get into a design program and like, you know, go to like an art and design school or like, should I do something more pragmatic and like study engineering? And I think it was like, oh, like I'm going to do the pragmatic thing. And so, yeah, I think that's, that's kind of been like my relationship art I, you know i never was really exposed to like creating art with code until i found dark blocks actually and was like oh shit like they're you know like e5js as a thing and people like you know make art for the sake of art with code and you know are not just like 
don't know. For me, I've always thought about writing software as a creative exercise. It's like, like writing prose in certain ways, right? I mean, it's a different form of thinking, but like there can be creativity and like the, the kind of the design and, and implementation of software. And so like, I don't know, I think that's been sad. That, that was always satisfying to me about writing software, but I'd never been exposed to like, oh, like there are these, you know, frameworks and entire communities that are, are built around like using code to create art. And so, yeah, I, I think when I like found Artblocks, which was by way of like, seeing ringers being talked about by uh, DC investor and other uh, crypto Twitter people I've been following just due to like that being my entry point into keeping tabs on what's happening in the world of crypto. Like it's like, oh, this is really cool. And, and it really like struck a chord, I think just, you know, from my background, like being interested in software, having experience growing up around art, especially growing up around um, a lot of like work that was created, you know, with printmaking techniques, this like one of one of X concepts that Artblocks has built on top of was very, felt like a very like digitally native version of screen printing where you have like one of one of a hundred and they're all like, you know, much more the same, you know, I mean, they are unique different pulls from a, uh, a given, you know, a, a plate or a screen or whatever, but um, yeah, I don't know the, the kind of like digital version of that with more variety because their algorithmic outputs really resonated. And I just found out the rabbit hole pretty quickly from there. No, it's it's that's super fascinating too. Because sounds well, first of all, it sounds like you're a, a super super genius being able to go down all these rabbit holes and uh, and find your way through. Because there are some very technical aspects of it. But I mean, I think as you're sort of talking, I could sort of relate to elements of it, right? I think on the one side, I think there is, you know, do you think mostly with your heart, or do you think mostly with your head? The the engineering side, which is you know black and white mathematical side versus the creativity side and i always find that it always feels like they're always in conflict with each other but i think you found a really nice sweet spot with with art blocks uh, along that sort of journey but but how did you um i guess how did you find your find your way into sort of art blocks and find that transition and was it an easy one for you to sort of rationalize at the time yeah i mean i think like the maybe there's different ways to think about that question and answer like i think from like a you know artist perspective like i start with like oh like i want to make something that creates a feeling or like a that sparks imagination in a certain direction right like i want to try to transport someone to either like you know think about like a place that's important to them or think about a place that i'm trying to you know show is important to me or like think about you know like having a more deep relationship with like trying to understand how this algorithm works and what the relationship is code is and so it's like what do i want the person to feel and then it's like maybe that's from where my analytical part of my brain takes over and it's like, okay, how do I construct this thing? And like, what are the building blocks for making you know, this thing and dissecting it into code and like thinking about it and, and, and kind of that way and like going back and forth from that perspective. You know, I, I think, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think from the perspective of like, you know, getting more involved in like art blocks from the perspective of the, you know, the community and like, you know, throwing the team and working on, um, things in that respect, like, I, I don't know how much they're in conflict as much as they're just like, you know, uh, different, I don't know, like the work forces you to think about, you know, what Arcblocks does from different perspectives, right? It's like, okay, like, what are, what are our artists expecting? What are our collectors expecting? Like, what is, you know, the product need from a technical perspective? What does the product need from a, you know, philosophical perspective in terms of like, what does it mean to be on chain and what constraints and requirements does that drive in terms of like, how the product works. And so, I, yeah, I think there's like a lot of, I don't know, like back and forth there of just like 
taking lots of different perspectives. And, you know, for me, it's, I think, useful to like, to come to that table with, with a, a background or an experience that like, has worn, you know, in terms of our blocks as a product, lots of different hats. Like I've, you know, started as a, as a collector, you know, and then community member and then, um, you know, artist and, and then like team member. And so I've, I don't know, interacted with the product in a lot of different ways. So yeah, I don't know. I think that's just like helpful when it comes to, yeah. Maybe you could share, how did you, how did you stumble across art blocks to start with? Yeah. So, you know, it was that like, <laughs> I think seeing ringers on the timeline and being like, what the fuck is like, what is this? Like trying to understand, you know, I, I had used OpenSea before, um, just from the perspective of like, I don't know, like long time ago, like having crypto kitties and then being kind of like, oh, what's happening still on the, you know, like do ecosystem. And I, you know, I like lost my, or the NFT ecosystem. I lost my wallet, but like, I want to keep tabs on things. So like, I think, you know, from that perspective, I was able to kind of like reverse engineer from ringers who eventually like find my way to the Artblocks website. And was like, oh, okay, cool. This is what this is. And then like somewhere buried, at the time it felt very buried, like maybe it was in an about section at the bottom of the you know page was like, oh, like join our Discord community. And I had never like been a part of a public Discord server. So I was like, I don't know what this is all about. And kind of joined the Discord server. And it was like a very, I think a very different place than it is now, just in terms of like the scale of people. And so, you know, I think there was like, yeah, not as much activity going on. And so it was a lot easier to like engage with, you know, just like, oh, there's a handful of people here. I can uh, quickly find my way around all of the things, if that makes sense, um, because there's just not a ton of them. Uh, there's like a handful of projects at the time and found this really magical place where they're like, and I think this is something that we've been able to maintain is like, a, you know, community of moderators and community members that were really interested in like helping you understand what was going on and really patient and generous with their time. And so like, this is really cool. Um, the artists were directly there in the server and like willing to talk about their work. And I was like, oh, engage with Dimitri and understand like, hey man, like what is this thing? And like, how does this work? And why is it the way it is? And like, what is this, you know, strings wrapped around pegs concept? And like, you know, it's like, oh, this is this is cool. And so, I don't know, I had found that like pretty, pretty special and, and ended up being like, oh, I'm gonna, you know, pull the trigger, buy a ringer. Like that's, that's, you know, it felt like a crazy thing at the time. I think it was like one ETH. I was like, this is insane. But um, yeah. When, when, when was that? Like, if you can timestamp that. I think this is maybe like February of 2021, something like that, January of 2021. Yeah. And I think from there just was like, oh, this is really cool. You know, like, and I don't know, just was like, I, you know, started minting things and became just like really excited about this experience of like being able to own something that was uniquely yours, but part of a bigger set. Um, and that kind of, you know, sparked in me like, Resparked kind of creative energy that I feel like I'd lost touch with of being like, oh wait, like I have um I can just like create visual art with code. Like I have things in my head that um, you know, I want to create that feel like inspired by, you know, things that I was missing during COVID, being locked in, missing and like getting chances to be in, you know, like escape to the beach. I mean, places that are special to me in that respect. And like, you know, feelings very inspired by I don't know, the screen printing mediums that I grew up around and like trying to say like, oh, what would it look like to really create art that was felt like it was in that more in that like visual tradition in certain ways that are familiar to me. And so, yeah, I, I think like kind of went deep and broad as like, you know, a collector and an artist, but also, yeah, like just got getting really involved in the community and saying like, hey, how can I be helpful here? Can I help, you know, 
be, you know, help, help support the community is just helping people as they're finding their way around. I started like bugging Eric to be like, Hey, like, let me fix your discord box. It's broken. I can fix this. Like, um, where can I be helpful? And, and yeah, ended up kind of forming a relationship with Eric that way. And, and, you know, starting to try to be helpful more on things in terms of like mechanism design and how the, you know, how the team was handling, like, chaos of, of you know oversubscribements and fixed prices i mean like okay well these are the different types of auction things you can play around with and yeah just just kind of starting from a place of being like hey where can i help you know the community and, and kind of like i don't know supporting eric's side of, of, of things uh yeah kind of that's how i got my way to art blocks as a, as a team member but then you know as a as a collector just it was like oh you know there's a lot of really interesting art that's coming to art blocks but also just like across the ecosystem it was like oh you know you have artists that are yeah. Uh, you know, like deaf beef that are like, I don't know, doing things that are similar, but different and unique in their own exciting ways. And like, um, yeah, I don't know. I ended up finding some really cool and special, like online friends, just via punks chat and the Derek blocks community. And so, I don't know, there's a lot of different, it was like almost like a shotgun spray of different like areas to go explore more, invest deeper from like personal perspective and, and trying to like do all of them. If that makes sense. <laughs> No, it's cool. I, I, I want to sort of dig in uh, to all to various elements of it, but I, I think I forgot to ask you the um, the question uh, of what, what what was actually your first NFT. Uh, I think my first NFT was definitely like CryptoKitty in a wallet that I lost, and I I don't know like I don't think there was anything in there except for CryptoKitties. Um, but I do like wonder sometimes. I'm like I yeah I, I don't know must have been like three computers ago or something. Uh, and then I ended up buying I think in like maybe. I was 2018 or 2019, a bunch of gods unchained cards. And then my first, let's say, NFT that I still am holding on to or have access to. Can't remember if it was the ringer I bought or a color study by Jeff Davis that I minted. But yeah, it was, it was I think it was the color study. I think I minted before I ended up like buying the ringer. But yeah. And um, it sounds like you're, you're just a natural tinkerer and curious about the space. But was, um, you know, digital assets and NFTs like a, a a challenging thing for you to wrap your head around? Or was it sort of easy for you to get? Yeah, I, th- I think like definitely easy from the perspective of already having been like pretty deeply pilled on digital money. Like I think if you start from the perspective of digital money making sense, then like digital culture and, you know, like cultural artifacts and assets are a lot easier to grok. I think if you start with the digital culture and artifacts, the money actually is easier to understand. And so I think that's where like NFTs have been more, uh, let's say like mass market understandable because like they're more similar to things that people experience in like, you know, gaming or sneakers or like there's a, there's more analogs. Like money is something that like generally is just a confusing concept. Yeah. Um, if you start to really like ask people like, Hey, what exactly is money? Like, it's a weird thing to, to try to think about for a lot of people. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I think like for me having, I don't know, like already, let's say accepted this idea that like, oh, you can make money that has value because it's like a peer to peer way to capture trust and, you know, trust has a value, something like that. I don't know. Like, I, I think it made the, the, the NFT stuff easier to understand. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was it was like really just finding stuff that was like more, let's say, resonant with my, um, you know, what was on my radar, why like aesthetic 
preferences and interests and intellectual interests as a collector that like really, uh, I think sparked a deep rabbit hole dive in terms of like collecting. I've collected most of my collection is generative art stuff and, and yeah, kind of falling down that rabbit hole. I think most people sort of find that same thing. I think it was, um, NFT stats that said, uh, you know, NFTs was the first time people weren't talking about the technology. They were just talking about things that they can relate with, which is art and culture, which was a little bit of an easier onboarding sort of, um, part for them as well. But, Oh, that's cool. And then, and then just, you know, going back to the, your, your art block sort of journey. I mean, so you were, you were hanging out in the discord, you were, you're making yourself useful with, um, with, I guess the community and, and with Eric, how did that conversation come about with you coming on to art blocks, uh, as, as a, as a team member, like, uh, and, and obviously CTO, like, was that long after your first entry after February 21? Yeah. I, so I think, I don't know when it was that like this formally was the case. Maybe it was like may or june or something like that of, of 2021 that i at first kind of more formally started you know supporting our blocks just as an advisor you know i i i don't know was just very interested in in the product and like trying to figure out how to be helpful and you know eric was interested in bringing me on as a technical advisor to help kind of give feedback on technical direction more on let's say like the kind of smart contract and mechanism design of thing design side of things and, you know, that's where I started to get more directly involved. And then I think as things were really kind of growing really quickly for art blocks and Eric was looking to like more, we scale up the team and, and need more support from a technical like engineering perspective. You know, that's when, when he kind of reached out and was like, Hey, you know, like, are you interested in coming out in more of a full-time city? And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a pretty exciting opportunity from the perspective of getting to join, you know, like a quickly growing and exciting organization. and. So yeah, I, I joined full-time actually just about two years ago. It's like August of 2021. Yeah. What was the early vibe of, of Artblocks like? Because I, I mean, I got into Artblocks late, but I, I presume like it, the vibe would have been very similar to, to Punks at some stage with some familiar faces, some really big early collectors in the space, just nerding out on sort of Artblocks. Like, do, do you remember the, I guess, the, the kind of people that were sort of in there at the time? And, you know, what was that sort of vibe like in, in Artblocks? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that was like really cool and I think still is really cool, um, but it made me feel like less concentrated um, about early art blocks. Community was just like, there's a lot of artists. And, and again, I think there still are a lot of artists who are like directly engaging in the community, like talking about their art, talking about the creative process, you know, giving feedback. And like that, I think was something that was like just this really intimate experience when it's only like, uh, you know, a couple thousand people and really only like in terms of like, highly active people, much fewer, maybe like less than hundred people or something that are kind of like talking about and you know, really digging into like creative process, digging into like, you know, all of the outputs of a given algorithm when a new project came live and, and getting excited about like minting together and watching things come through the minter. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that, I don't know, like kind of almost like collaborative is not the right word, but like, yeah, that really intimate environment of, of collectors who are really excited about nerding out about the algorithms and the outputs and like kind of the, algorithmic design space of a given you know art piece like combined with you know artists being there and being willing able to engage directly with those collectors um that was i think the thing to me that was like the most i don't know that like really captivated me and pulled me in yeah and i think like yeah that's been something that like as the community has just grown you know dramatically um in terms of the number of people kind of participating in that conversation like how that's changed over time is is I don't know. It's interesting to watch. Like, I think there's, you know, 
Uh, I think we've done a really good job of, of uh, maintaining the aspects of that that are uh, possible in terms of like keeping, you know, there's, I think, still a really strong community of like artists who are there as community members. Uh, but, you know, things just feel less intimate, obviously, when you have like tens of thousands of people, you know, versus like, you know, order of magnitude less. And so um, that said, I think that that community is still something that feels like very, I don't know, vibrant and especially for the people who've been a lot around for a long time is like special to kind of yeah still have those folks around and so yeah I, I sort of feel like there's a um there's a very strong vibe correlation between punks and the art blocks community from a purist sense i think most sure. people people are there like nerding out because they want to and they're genuinely interested in the space and um really excited about you know the projects that are sort of coming out and so i sort of feel like you know with the art blocks community there is a lot of crossover with punks and and i think you know just speaking with yourself how you went into art blocks first and then i'd love to sort of you know get into your punk story in a moment but felt like deaf beef went through the same way went through art blocks first then found out about punks and then came across to punks as well and so i think snowfro starting off with punks you know getting a i get the sense that there was inspiration from punks um that sort of drove elements of uh of of, of art blocks as well right so i think there's a a nice sort of um correlation between the two the two sort of projects there yeah for sure i mean i I think like from my perspective punks are very much like an algorithmic art piece uh, that is yeah i mean i I don't not to be like overly reductionist or gatekeeping but like i I do think that there's a aspect to which like punks are like more they were an art piece first that became let's say like a pfp project almost like in a way that was more much more like gradual and organic than kind of like most of the PFP projects we know today that were created as these like online brands. And I think that's, I don't know, there's something about that. I think that draws many people who are interested in like digital art to punks as this, yeah, I don't know, like digital art piece that is super important to uh, the medium of of, uh, crypto art. And, and, you know, it's also like very much resonates with people who are interested in generative algorithmic art because punks at the end of the day are like a generative algorithmic art piece even though they were generated on chain they were they're the output of an algorithm that was then like you know modified on chain and and you know and and um yeah which makes them similar in in many ways to kind of art that you know like it's released to be art blocks even though they're obviously different in in, in ways for sure what's snowfro like as a boss (laughs) Eric is a very kind and compassionate person. Uh, and so, you know, I think that that really shows in, in terms of, yeah, what it's like working with him, you know, on a colleague level and I would kind of like, as a boss, I think he's someone who cares a lot about the team and cares a lot about, yeah, people that he's working with and, and uh, is trying to, you know, lead with empathy and, and kind of how he thinks about decisions. And so, I don't know, that, that's probably the, the, like the clearest through, through line that I would, I would call out. Um, that, that that sounds deserving of a pay rise and a bonus uh, for for next year. <laughs> I was I was hoping you, you'd, you'd you'd give us a bit more insight, but I think it's hard to fault anything with Snowfro. I think you know anybody that's had any remote interaction with him has has always said uh, the same thing and speaks very very highly of him. So obviously, Def Beef and um, have had Pixel Pete on as well. Um, just people in the whole art blocks uh, sort of space are just uh, harboring good vibes. Not just about so Snowfro, but we're an art block, so. Um, that's cool. Yeah, he's a he's a very uh, genuine person, and I, I think that genuineness and authenticity like shows up in kind of I don't know 
values of the art block community as a whole and the type of people that he's attracting and the type of community that's kind of been fostered there. And so, yeah, hopefully that, that kind of is something that percolates out into the world when, when people interact with, with art blocks. Um, so, 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 what, so what is your punk story, Herbert? Like, how did you hear about punks? How did you sort of, you know, get into it and eventually buy, buy your first one? Yeah, I mean, I think like hear about punks was probably like, I don't know, exposed to them around the same time as exposed to Crypto Kitties and just like didn't take that branch. I was like, oh, these things are like fun and cute and I don't know, whatever. Um, but, you know, I think like following along Crypto Twitter, there were people that, you know, like like Alex Gauss or uh, like DC Investor, um, just different people that like, I don't know, I'd ended up kind of finding myself following along with that like use CryptoPunks as, as avatars. I was like, oh, that's cool. These are cool. Like, you know, these are, you know, an OG, like original, I don't know, like crystallized moment of what crypto culture means, what crypto art means. Uh, and so I think from that perspective, like they were really interesting. And I, I like January... 2021 or maybe even like late 2020 was like should i buy a crypto punk like kind of stupid that i like you know i'm like a investor in the space and you know like mostly just stick to eth and maybe a little bit of DeFi. like uh but like i really should own a crypto punk and i was like ah it's like so expensive like it seems so crazy so i don't know i did it for a long time and you know ended up watching the price kind of escape my horizon of of like things that were you know made sense were, were feasible um but found the punks community like punks chat um you know via i don't know like some discord portal or something from like you're like in the art blog discord somebody posts a link talking about something happening in punks chat like what are you talking about and they send you a link and you're like oh this you know there's crypto punks chat and i just i don't know i found like that place is a really fun place to hang out in terms of like i don't know having a li- little bit more of like a dgen culture let's say than like the you know let's say the art blogs discord had which was like much more art focused and, you know, just finding people who were like really willing to help kind of give like pointers and advice in terms of like the market and like, we're just also like interesting, curious, fun people to chat with and that I've become, uh, you know, friends with online and, and kind of still and, and friends with online though, you know, a lot of that conversation maybe has moved out of punk chat to other places, but yeah, like found, found myself just really liking that community. And then, you know, eventually after like finding my way flipping different things and building up a more of an ETH stack where I'm like, okay, I can actually, you know, get a punk now. Um, I think maybe the punk's price was like 15 ETH or something like this. And I was like, yeah, this feels crazy, but like, I really want a punk. Uh, and at the time there was like nothing and I'm at around the floor that like, I was like, oh, like that I liked. And it was at a time where uh, this is now like very different, but the NFT, like NFTX was, I think, still on like the version one of the protocol. Uh, there was a pool for punk, an NFTX pool for punks that was like, uh, let's say like not very efficiently arbitraged is how I describe it from the perspective of like having a lot of, let's say like nicer trait punks that were just like mixed in. Uh, nowadays, if you look at the NFTX pool, it's much more efficiently arbitraged and there's like not, let's say like more valuable premium trait punks in the pool. But at the time was like, oh, we like, you know, this is not, there's, there's some nice stuff in the, in the pool, including 6303. Uh, and so I, uh, ended up buying, uh, maybe I think I bought a floor punk or maybe I bought like one whole NFTX punk token. Um, and I, it was really like fun night in, in crypto punk tracks. I was like, Hey guys, like 
you know, I'm going to, I'm going to fish the pool and kind of like roll the dice until I get something that I want. Um, <laughs> and so like, there were a lot of, you know, folks hanging out, uh, you know, like, uh, I don't know, I remember D's and he and Keeps and Big Nay, like friends, you know, friends now that are, I don't know, other online <laughs> punk friends, uh, or friends that came out of punk's chat. Um, but I think it was on the third roll that I, you know, I like would, put the thing in and then you just kind of do like random draw and it gives you a punk and you're like you know should i keep this one or not and i remember like people in the chat being like oh that's a pretty good one like are you sure you want to put it back and you know i ended up i think on the third poll getting the the six three or three that i have now the purple hide punk and i was like this is too sick like you know i purple hide is a really cool trait like this shouldn't be there shouldn't even be purple hats cool and yeah i don't know kind of like luck of the draw in that respect that um i ended up getting that one and yeah so what was uh, NFTX? Because I've never actually used it. I've heard of it before. But um, so is, there's a pool of punks. You basically <laughs> yeah. just pop your ETH in and you get out a random, is it like a gumball machine or something? Yeah, essentially. Yeah. So like, you know, NFTX is this protocol where it's almost like NFT backed fungible tokens. So like you'll put in your punk and then you'll get like one ERC token that represents a whole punk. And then you can sell, you know, fractions of that token. And if somebody else buys enough to have one, whole token that they can put that token back in and get like a random gumball pump back. Um, that's how the original version of the protocol worked. Now it's like a little bit more complicated and you can like choose to pay a premium to select specific pieces out of the, you know, vaults. And so like more efficient in that respect, even on the old V1 version of NFTX, like pretty quickly that started to become something that people would like kind of like EV arbitrage. So you'd be like, okay, what's the fees and the gas that it's going to co- cost to like keep spinning the wheel and then like what is the probability that i get you know one of this set of different punks that's in the pool and what do i think the premium is on those and like i'm gonna do that until i get one of the good ones and then like you know sell it on the punks market for this spread and whatever right so like that type of thing started to happen more and more um and i was just lucky that at the time where i was buying my punk that was like not a very efficient market yet um yeah it's almost kind of like these was early on like had a really good sense of uh kind of market making punks and knowing where there was a premium and kind of making like um small spread flips and then like over time the punk market as a whole just became like much much more efficient you have players like you know otc coming in and like using bots and um you know so like things have just become much more efficient as a market in terms of punks but uh, early on that was not the case and you could be like oh there's a bunch of nice stuff in i'm gonna like spin the wheel and, and play the gumball machine uh in there that's kind of what i did and, and ended up getting my punk what was the what was the floor for uh, a, a punk token by nftx back then i think it was probably it was like i think it was like around 15 or something it was like basically the very similar to you know there's a very like efficient uh roughly efficient market at least between like the floor price and uh on, on the punks market place contract and, and around the punks contract and then you know, what was happening on FTX. Cause like you could always, if the spread was too big, you could buy the floor and sell it into NFTX or vice versa, buy the NFT XO token and floor it on the pump place. And so, you know, it was always within half an ETH or something like that. And uh, it's probably even tighter these days, but. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Especially with things like blur, like the market. Yeah. This, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Just like thinking about the span of two years, let's say like, how much more efficient like market for punts has gotten is is kind of a trip. Yeah. So so this was around March 2021. I'm just looking at the uh, history now. Yeah, that sounds that sounds right. That's cool. So it sounded like a 
it was fate that brought you together with um, <laughs> 6303. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's why I think like, I don't know, there's just some definitely some special like sentimental aspect there. Of, like, well, I didn't exactly pick my punk. It kind of picked me and then I chose not to throw it back or something like that. And so so Dsfi was your, uh, your trait advisor at the time. So uh, he helped you sort of figure out which ones to keep and which ones to throw back into the pool. Yeah, I, I uh, he definitely was. I he, like he also was someone that was, uh, you know, I don't know, pretty active in, in punk shot by that. And I, I can't remember like who all was was in the chat actively being like keep it or not, but it was a pretty like listen to the crowd kind of situation for sure. How funny. Were there sort of any traits that um, you were keen on specifically at that time, like outside of, you know, Purple Hearts? Yeah, I mean, I remember what was the cool, like, I know I really like, and I still like the wild hair trait. Um, I don't have long hair anymore, but I used to have long hair. The, I really like the uh, knitted cap trait. Like, that's a fun one. I don't know. I like the eye patch trait. But yeah, I, I was not going to get a cowboy out of the pool, but I do like the cowboy trait quite a bit. Yeah, they're cool too. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I almost bought, there's a cowboy punk that Death Beef has that I, I don't know, almost bought when it went on sale at one point and then did not. And I tried to hassle him into selling it to me, but he wouldn't. <laughs> you know what's funny? Was that, was that recent? Because there was one that was listed at 99. And, uh, with the, oh, oh, no. The, this is a while No, back. he bought okay. another one, I think, recently that he like duped. But no, this was maybe sometime in 2021, still actually, uh, like before it pumps really went hyperbolic. Yeah, and it was maybe like 40 or something. I don't remember, but it's the small shades um, cowboy that he has. Ah, uh, that's cool. Yeah, he he um he recently picked up a, a cowboy with uh I think an earring and a mustache, and uh, I think it, it was listed for like ninety nine recently. And I was like scrambling for some ETH, and then uh, before I uh, was able to scrape scrape enough, uh, you know, Def Beaver just sort of scooped in. I think he's got like two or three cowboys now. So uh, yeah, he's a cowboy fan. Um, it's a good trait. I really like cowboys. Yeah, and and if. If money wasn't an issue, like, would there be a dream punk you'd love to have? Uh, I think if money wasn't an issue, I'd want the one that <laughs> the cowboy that Deppy Because <laughs> <laughs> maybe if money wasn't an issue, I could convince him to sell it. But uh, I really like the Small Shades Cowboy. That's that's probably, like, the punk that got away, one of my favorites. Um, yeah, I think, like, true rail grail punk, if money wasn't an issue, is the uh, Cowboy Ape. I think I like apes more than aliens, so I'd say cowboy ape, but uh, I don't think that's... You, you wouldn't go for B's uh, purple hat ape? So you can keep your purple hat name? I don't think so. You know, like as much as I do love the purple hat <laughs> name, I would, I think I would sell my identity and my soul for uh, the right cowboy. <laughs> uh, nice. So one thing we didn't speak about, uh, just going back a little bit, is into your art block sort of journey history. You're obviously an an artist as well, and you've released um, a few few drops on art blocks. Um, do, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Um, so I've got one up called Sonoran Roadways, and I know you've done a few other ones too around sunsets as well. But like, I guess you know, what's your, how would you describe your your form of and your style of uh, of art blocks and um, and how did you sort of get into this sort of uh, type of work? Yeah, um, I'll, have to, I'll have to dig up my old punks that I'd had in the past later because I'm too difficult to try to find them uh, on the, the CryptoPunks market on my iPad. But yeah, for, like for me, I think 
I've been, I don't know, I, I think there's maybe a few things that I could talk about, but like, you know, one has been, I find it really like useful to think about constraints driving creativity. And so like, you know, I think one thing early on that I just kind of set as a constraint for myself in terms of like the type of algorithmic work I want to create is like, I'm going to work in just like painting with dots and like, I'm just going to, the only primitive I'm going to use from the perspective of like what gets, you know, put on canvas is um, dots. And I'm going to kind of take that and approach what I'm making from the perspective of like, I want to make something that tries to emulate screen printing, but like doesn't exactly make sense if you think about it too much because it's not really a screen print. But, you know, I'm going to kind of take that into how I approach the the creative process and kind of build like these digital silk screens where the dots get kind of like painted on as the different, you know, pieces of code that say like where the different screens are and how they overlap get kind of iterated through. And, you know, I think that was from the coming from the perspective of just being really informed and inspired by the screen printing work that I grew up with and like getting to spend time with my grandpa and his, you know, basement studio where he had like, uh, you know, screen, like, supplies and walk me through like hey like this is how lithography works versus like you know screen prints you know and like yeah i don't know that was that was like a just something that was very ingrained in my in my brain and so yeah trying to you know create works that like felt like they were um let's say like emulating that style in certain respects take pulling in certain aspects of quilt making kind of the patchwork nature of that while like depicting scenes or ideas that were like interesting and and meaningful to me and so like you know my first three art blocks projects for this triptych around kind of three different uh like places and spaces that feel like uh home to me in different respects and so like the you know the beach being like home to escape to and and kind of yeah get away to if you will the desert being like the home that i grew up in growing up in, in southern arizona most of my life and then you know, the, the mountains being the, the home that I live in now and, and, you know, living in Colorado or like the, the home away from home, I guess, uh, the things that make me feel like home getting out into nature in each of those contexts. And so, yeah, I, th- I think that's been, you know, a, a, a through line, I guess, is like trying to create work that uh, has a, let's say, certain aspects or motifs that are consistent, but explore, you know, different ideas or try to evoke different emotions in terms of like the places they transport you to. And I've tried to yeah, apply that and in, in, in how I think about the generative work that I've done in art blocks. Also, like, had, uh, I don't know, generative works that I've made that are more, like, curated outputs um, in in uh, some of the work that I've done, making, like, fake rare Pepe kind of inspired art. And, like, I, I find that out of collective storytelling and, like, this collective storybook character almost of, of Pepe to be, like, a fun thing. Uh, and so, yeah, participating in, in that with my own kind of like style that comes from this um kind of constraints around dot painting and um you know trying to apply a, a, a digital process that pulls from screen printing in certain ways in terms of what it tries to evoke but also like doesn't really make sense because like you can't skeuomorphically translate printmaking to a digital context fully like i think that's that's kind of been yeah my process and in, in, in a lot of ways uh, I, I think as you're sort of talking, it provides a little bit more context to, I guess, you know, what I'm sort of seeing. And, um, you know, it, it does have a, a very uh, strong sense of home as I'm looking through them. And uh, I think as you're sort of talking about quilt making, quilt making is uh, very homely, right? So, um, uh, which is kind of nice. 
Um, no, so they're, they're sort of beautiful pieces. Um, I, I think I did pick up a Center and Roadways as well. But what was your first one? First one was it the Dot Matrix? Uh, so it was uh, Stipple Sunsets was the the first project that I I did on our blocks. Um, oh wow! Okay, and uh, yeah. Oh nice, and um, and like would, I guess you know, do you have like a favorite artist or any sort of collections that you that, that sort of come to mind that um, that stand out for you? Oh man, picking favorites is hard. I think I really love Meridians. Um, by uh matt delorier i i like love having them on my wall i think the um one of the i really like works and i try to do this in my like I, I hope that my work at least for some people creates a sensation where like your experience looking at the thing close up and far away is just different and you get to like enjoy that sense of perspective and scale and that's something that i think like matt does excellently and meridians do excellently um and I, yeah, I love having, uh, you know, some prints of Meridians up, up, oh, they're not in this room, but up in our house and like being able to, you know, from a distance, they're just like beautiful, striking, you know, topographical kind of depictions of mountain scenery, but then you get close and you really get to, I don't know, like enjoy these like digital brushstrokes almost. So those are, I think, really fantastic. Uh, I love guest beef's work in particular. Like I love glitch boxes. I think they're just like a really fun and interesting dynamic and interactive art piece and like i think it's cool that you can sit and re kind of remix remaster them as the collector and like get to engage and re-engage um with them uh and and yeah i, I like the uh aspects of how dev beef thinks about on-chain art from the perspective of works that can be created with a c compiler like something really cool about kind of how he's approached that um as a creator and and so you know that's a really prized, uh, let's say, like aspect of my my collection. Yeah, I don't know. Pinky favorites is hard, but yeah, I, I think those are some pieces that are really special. I really love gazers. I think like the fact that I just get to look at them and they give me something different every time I look at them is, is pretty special. Yeah, so I, I like those. I mean, the hard thing with gazers is that like they, uh, I have, I still haven't exactly found the right way to display them live in real time in our house in a way that's not too blinding because of the backlight like for a long time i had a separate monitor that i would just keep my gazers up all the time on it it was like it's just too bright and so i think yeah i think as we get better in terms of like the technology to display the live code running on some of those like flatter uh more matte displays yeah excited to be able to live with those in a better way but uh i i still love like uh yeah my my gazer and and being able to like i don't know also like have pieces of art that you can't really like put it on the wall in a flat context is kind of cool. Like, um, I like that about Butch Box. I like that about Gazers. I like that about Punks. Honestly, I'm like, I don't want to, I'm talking a little frank. Like, that's not really right. Uh, but like, it, you know, I love my CryptoPunk. So, yeah, I don't know. Those are some of the, the things that like most immediately come to mind. But no, I, I, think, I think Meridians is a beautiful collection. Actually, all, all three of those uh, collections are uh, sort of amazing. And Matt Cain's got such an interesting story and uh, a, a purist artist in his, in his truest form once you sort of learn his backstory as well. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, I think uh, really nice, uh, nice, nice sort of curation uh, that you got there. Yeah. I, there's a lot of other stuff too that I love that I don't own or don't own anymore. But um, so that's. That's always a factor too. I think that's always the problem, right? I think I don't think we've ever got enough ETH um, to to buy the things we love, right? So uh, yeah, managing financial responsibility and uh, love of collecting is a, is a difficult balance. For sure. uh, uh, absolutely. 
and probably more worse so for you because you get to see everything firsthand that's that's coming out and um and uh, what's sort of coming up, right? So I can sort of imagine that. Uh, yeah, that sort of tendency. Um, yeah, I've tried to control myself more, especially <laughs> since joining the team, in terms of just like, okay, I, you know, got a balance there. <laughs> how how exposed I am to different things. If if you had to, um, you know, look across the community of punks, do you have like a favorite punk or series of punks that come to mind? I mean, I think like what's cool about uh the punks community is you have like a lot of folks who are building shit right like so that's i think like you know a lot of the people that i i really like to you know engage with in the punks community are like people who are building stuff so like you know that's how eric and i found each other uh you know i think like folks like fubar um like really smart solidity dev and like really thinks critically about kind of things around mechanism design and I don't know, like is building in the space cool to get to engage with him or like, you know, Nifty Nod is building in the, you know, like in the space and very active. And, and like, I, I think just, I don't know, being surrounded by those type of folks is, is great. I think there's also, you know, like the really deep OG thought leader folks who are maybe like less directly involved in like the community on a day to day, like, you know, I don't know, perspective in terms of what's still happening in Punk's chat or something like that. But like, you know, folks like Aaron Wright, like getting to, you know, engage with him. He's a really sharp dude and really understands space and like value around decentralization. And and yeah, I don't know. I think that's that's a, a pretty cool perspective to get to get. And then like, I don't know, I think there's a lot of folks who are just like more friends or like, you know, a fellow collector slash investor slash degen slash friends like uh, you know, D's or Jeebs or he doesn't own a punk anymore. Maybe he'll <laughs> come back to the punk side eventually with the idea from time to time it seems like but yeah i, I think like I, I don't know those getting to hang out with those folks like just online as online friends is I, I think a pretty special thing so i don't know i think like picking favorites there is even more difficult than picking favorites when it comes to art but i would say like there's a lot of yeah just really like cool and thoughtful collectors artists artist collectors <laughs> you know builders thinkers um yeah like in the space that, that also are part of the bunk community and it's like a pretty thing are you in any um tribute dows because yeah I'm a, I'm a big fan of aaron as well so yeah i'm a part of a uh, neon dow which is one of the the, the tribute dows uh, but yeah it's the, the only one. Oh, cool well, maybe i can catch up with you at a tribute event one day and if you had to describe punk culture in a few words like how would you describe that for you i think that like the what seems to be the most unifying through line i would probably index on like decentralization maxis or something like that like i do get the sentiment that like there are a lot of people in the uh punks community who like value let's say like combination of decentralization is one and then i'd say like authenticity is another like i think people gravitate towards punks because they are this like very uh authentic yeah or like they came from a very um let's say like organic and genuine I don't like to use the word pure, but like space in terms of like, hey, like here's this thing. You can own these, you know, like collectible art piece things uh, on the Ethereum blockchain. And it's a contract and part of the contract has its own marketplace. We're tinkerers, we're builders, we're creatives. And like, here's the thing. I don't know. They're free. Do something with it. Uh, and like that evolved into this, this symbol, this shelling point for like digital art and culture. And so, you know, I think that draws people who like 
care about authenticity and um, also like just given the kind of like, hey, this thing's out in the world and like the token is the art, you own the token and like the marketplace is built into the contract. Like you don't have to depend on other shit. Like it's all there in the thing you own. I don't know. That being attractive to you is I think like something that relies you being somewhat bought in on kind of principles around decentralization and around like what it means for something to be authentic. And so I don't know. Those are the things that I would probably describe as like the commonalities that often I find in, in I don't know, folks in the punks community that like resonates with me. Yeah, I, I think as you're sort of describing that, you're, you're right. I think at the surface le- level, when people come into punks, I don't think they they really peel the onion back and really figure out what punks are. And I think when you're sort of describing it, I, I sort of get the sense that you know punks are very symbolic of crypto values, decentralization on-chain authenticity, provenance, self-custody. It's, it's very symbolic of, of those crypto values, which is, um, which is a very strong, uh, not flex, but um, a way of communicating who you are in the space in some ways, right? Yeah, for sure. I think it's a, yeah, a very strong like value signal around some of those like crypto values. And that's what I'm here for. And, and I mean, I think that's the thing that's like fundamentally interesting about owning digital cultural artifacts is like they allow you to signal to the world like hey this is who i am these are things i care about right and so like you know that may be like hey i really care about um this brand or this club or this artist or this art form or you know crypto values or you know nihilistic that like financial nihilism whatever right like there's different things that communicate like hey i'm part of this tribe and i think like you know Communities drift and shift over time, for sure. Um, but I do think that, like, you know, for myself, at least, why, like, CryptoPunk is interesting and meaningful um, as, like, a, I don't know, identity object or cultural value signaling object is, like, that I, I do think it signals some some values around, yeah, kind of, like, crypto culture and um, the values around things like, yeah, decentralization and, like, what, uh, crypto authenticity means and, and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think fairness is another one as well. And I think it, all the things around the the punk history around, you know, being a free fair launch, all of those things signal elements of decentralization and openness and fairness and community as well. So yeah, no, this is, this is going deep in the punk. So you're not just buying a punk just for the art anymore. It's uh, it's, a, yeah. it's a lot more than that. Yeah. I mean, I think like the fact that punks are like a project where, the marketplace is built into the contract that is the art piece. Like there's something very like special and unique about that, um, especially relative to the kind of Cambrian explosion of other stuff that does not follow that model, which is, you know, for reasons that make sense. But like, um, I don't know, there's something that's like really fundamentally interesting about the like open sea can blow up and disappear blur can blow up and disappear the whole ecosystem can shift and change and look entirely different in like you know 10 years but like i don't know like crypto punks contract's still going to be there and if the front end goes down like i promise you someone will put up another one that looks the same uh <laughs> that lets you see all of the punks it'll look them up by index and you know interact with the marketplace because it's built in it's the same it's one in the same you know with the the, the art pieces themselves and like there's something interesting about that that's just fundamentally a little bit different than most of the other stuff in the, in the space i don't know it's cool uh, at the very least totally do you have a view on v1 punks yeah i mean I, I think like 
my, this might be like an overly, oh, it's not maybe. I think this is almost certainly like an overly reductive and cynical take. But like, I do think the fact that like most people didn't care about or have an interest in talking about V1 punks until like there was a narrative to spin in terms of why they were valuable is interesting. Like, I, I think the, yeah, general like outlook of like, hey, the things that we care about and are collecting and trading in the punks community and in the punks chat uh, were the, you know, the V2 punks uh, until there was, you know, much more of a dramatic, let's say like value accrual to those. And I was like, oh, but well, what about these? Wrap them now so we can trade them again. I don't know. Like they are, from my perspective, interesting cultural, historical artifacts. I think they're like fundamentally a broken art piece in terms of like, they're not, you know, accepted as being the art piece that is the authentic by the creators who created them. I, I think that like the punks art piece is like the con- like the punks contract. And you get to, from my perspective, like when you're owning a punk, you're owning like a fractional, re- a specific fractional relationship with this like smart contract. And that is like an interesting thing. And that is like fundamentally broken with V1 punks because you can't trade them safely in the marketplace is broken. <laughs> and so, like, you know, from that perspective, like V1 punks in my mind, they're like the prototype, but they're not the actual thing. And like functionally, that is what happened in the history of punks where like, you know, everybody got their punks, but on the new contract and everyone said like, yep, this is what's, this is what's canon, right? And this is what we're going to socially accept and negotiate on. Um, that said, like, I think uh, it'd be cool if I had like 6303 um, for my, you know, for the V1 punk, like it'd be neat to have them together in the same wallet. Um, and so like, there is some, you know, it's not insane to me that people associate value with these things. Like, I think there's definitely just from a sentimental perspective, I understand that with my own punk, but I don't see it as something that I'm like, I don't know. I don't ascribe a high amount of economic value to wanting to own that thing. I guess is how I would think about it or like a little perspective. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's a, my outlook is definitely tainted by the like, the narrative that has tried to be, be sold and who's tried to sell it, I guess, from the perspective of like, uh, I don't know. Hemba, you know, my like take is like, hey, this person like made a bunch of money but sold all his punks too early and is kind of salty and is like, oh, I own all this stuff. I'm going to like create a narrative around So I think that I own just like, oh, it's a people. <laughs> Yeah, maybe you're almost certainly overly reductive because um, there are people that, you know, I do like really respect that have a different narrative that they associate with the, the V1 punks and like they're the thing that they actually claimed and that is meaningful, you know, like people like Moxley or Tony Herrera or, you know, like, hey, I claimed this thing and I, I did interact with this contract and that's in the history and that's interesting. Um, and so like, you know, what I would say is like, I think V1 punks are much more interesting and authentic and meaningful for the people who claim them, but like they're less interesting from the perspective of like other people collecting them. That's kind of how I think about it. Like that, eh, like that's not, that's not the thing. That's not the bearer instrument that like carries the, the meaning and the value. It's not. Um, so I don't know. No, I, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to it. And I just love asking this question from various sort of punks because they come in with, sort of various sort of views yeah and 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 i think it's one of those conversations that we'll continue to have from now until forever right punks are like the ethereum classic of uh (laughs) of digital art something like that like yeah i guess you still have your balance on like you know ethereum classic because the chain fork but like 
I don't know. Yeah. And 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 what about the the Yuga acquisition? Now, how, how did you feel about the Yuga acquisition over CryptoPunks at that time? Yeah, I mean, I think it's like I'm fortunate that Larva Lab guys got to a point where, like, I think the demands of what people were expecting from the perspective of running a community and running a PFP project, um, or just like not really what they set out to do as artists and creators. And so, like, you know, I, I think. That to me from the outside just seemed like part of the forcing function as to like why they look to sell. Yeah, I don't know why they look to sell the the kind of the IP and the, the bunch of punks that they sold to Yuga. I mean, I I think from the perspective of like being good custodians of the brand, custodians of like honestly just like leaving punks alone for the most part and looking for, you know, opportunities to place punks and important institutions and you know like make elevate punk as an art piece i think yuga's done a good job and i've been honestly like happily surprised in that respect it's kind of like oh like you know yuga is a very different the other things they're doing are very different than what is interesting and attractive to me about crypto punks like they're building this digital online kind of like lifestyle culture brand thing that doesn't necessarily resonate with me personally and you know is that what's going to happen to punks or like how is that going to unfold and so there's a lot of uncertainty there that I think is like played out in, I don't know, a way that has been pretty respectful. Like, oh, we're going to treat these things as an art piece and kind of elevate or maintain their history. Uh, you know, I think, yeah, Chris was, yeah, just kind of like, eh, I'm skeptical. Is this good or bad? Good for price, bad for price. Like, good for culture, bad for culture, unclear. Yeah, I think it's still, I don't know, too soon to tell like what that story will look like in retrospect in 10 years, right? Like does it stay with the, does the Punk's IP stay with the Yuga brand? Does it get resold and tossed around? And how does that feel? What does that look like? Does it matter? Because like people just more and more dissociate who it even is that owns the Punk IP from like what actually matters. I don't know. But yeah, I think it's it's been interesting, I guess. (laughs) Like I think initially maybe gut reaction, knee-jerk reaction was like, sad and annoyed and angry and you know over time i've been like i don't know i don't know how much this matters honestly um and i think it's good to not have yeah the larva labs folks feeling pressured into a situation that isn't maybe necessarily what they wanted um and so like i'm glad that uh hopefully that's been good for them i guess and if um if you could pass on a message to the next owner of punk 6303 what would you like to say to them oh man um have good wallet, operational security. <laughs> I don't know. It depends on what the context is. It might be like, fuck you, because the reason they own it is I messed up my key management somehow and I've like have all had all my wallets drained. And if that was the context, then I would probably be like, yeah, it would be a it would be a fuck you if it was uh that they bought it from me and it was like some big life changing chunk of money, it'd be a, a thank you and I hope you enjoy it. Keep it well. You know, if it's like one of my kids or something, it'd be like Good luck. Don't mess up your key management. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. No, I, th- I think uh, most people have this similar sort of answer to you, uh, de- depending on the, the context of it. But um, fuck you was uh, a general general sort of similar similar one that sort of came out. Seems like the most likely reason is that I, I messed something up and I compromised my key. So I'd probably be pretty upset. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, Jake, uh, Perpat, th- this is sort of fun, man, and uh, really fascinating to to hear your story. Um, 
you know, from, from your early days, uh, engineering with haptics and, and Google all the way through to sort of art blocks. And I, I think it's really great to sort of see people like you, uh, in, in, you know, rocking a punk, um, and also doing the things that you do, man. I think you're, you're doing this, doing this really proud, you know, building um, some really amazing products. And so thank you so much for your time and really enjoyed having you on Punkcast. but I guess throwing over to you for one last time, any sort of final closing comments and, um, you know, what's the best way for people to find you? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun. I was, I was like getting to chat with other, other punks and, and just kind of chat about the space. So I appreciate you having me on. Best way to find me on Perpat on Twitter. Twitter's probably the easiest way to get all to me. Uh, and always happy to chat with folks who, who have uh, interesting stuff to talk about. I don't know. I think the only thing I'd made like parting thought is like, I feel like it's a pretty, uh, I don't know, dark time in some respects within the cryptoverse. And um, I think that can, you know, be like, not fun of a feeling at times for folks. And so good to try to channel that energy into like communities that you can find excitement and energy uh, from. And, you know, like whether that be the art blocks community or, you know, getting involved in more like direct artist community relationships of so, you know, find yourself in the Jeff Peak server, find yourself in the Map Castle server. There's a lot of really cool stuff happening there. Like find an art piece that speaks to you that you want to go engage with the creators and learn about what they're making, even if you're not ready to buy something yet. Like, it's a good time for that type of, of activity. So, uh, yeah, I just encourage folks to to, to do that um, rather than being, let's say, too too <laughs> dark and blue um, at times where things can feel a bit a, a bit like that. Uh, just in terms of the general ecosystem, I feel the times are changing though, which is which is a good thing. I think uh, we're just on the verge of bottoming out. I think. Uh, yeah. I feel like it's sort of starting to come back. Yeah, it's hard to you know I, I have some PTSD from twenty eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to come back very, very soon. But uh, yeah, Perpat, thanks again. And, and guys, thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of Punkcast. And uh, we'll be back next week with another punk. Bye for now.